the valley of the dry bones. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is James. I'm part of the team here, and it's a great joy to be with you this morning. Uh, books, uh, books have purposes, don't they? All documents, all books, all forms of communication have purposes. Maybe the purpose of a cookbook is to help someone uh, cook a recipe The purpose of an instruction manual is to help us operate an appliance. The purpose of a bill is to get someone to to pay for a service. Uh, Books and documents have purposes. What about the Bible? What is the Bible for? What is its purpose? That's the question we're considering this morning uh, in our Words for Life series. We're up to question five. In the last four weeks, we've answered, we've looked at and, and learned some things about some important questions. We've learned that we can only know God because he reveals himself and he does that in the Bible. The Bible is God's word which can be trusted. It's, it's clear and, and sufficient 
and effective. Uh, but to what end? Why has God spoken? That's a really important question, isn't it? To understand the purpose of something uh, in any sphere of life is crucial so that we might use it rightly. We don't play soccer with watermelons. That's not what they're for. They're for eating. We don't build walls with mobile phones. That's not what they're for. Uh, they're for communicating and, well, they're for lots of things these days, aren't they? But what is the Bible for? What is the Bible for? If we can answer that question, we'll go a long way to using it rightly. Uh, and we'll start to touch on that this morning, but we'll talk more about that next week. So what is the Bible for? Now, before we get into the detail of that answer, I'm going to ask you to conduct a brief exercise with someone around you uh, and consider this question. This is a bit abstract, maybe a bit too philosophical for you. Um, but talk to someone around you. What are words for? I'm not talking particularly about the Bible, but have a chat to your neighbour and see what you think about this question. What are words for? All right, off we go. I'll give you a minute or so. All right, well, I might, I might ask you to stop there. You could, we could talk for a long time about that. It's a pretty uh, deep question, and I'm, I'm not going to invite responses. Uh, but uh, perhaps you were talking about the idea that words are for communicating, for transmitting information, uh, for getting across an idea. Well, that, of course, is true. But I want to say something else. I think we all instinctively know, as well as communicating information, words do things. Uh, they perform actions. Let me give you a few examples. If someone says, you're fired, uh, if it's the boss saying that to an employee, that, that does something. It has some impact on uh, one's employment status. If you were to say to me this morning, it's cold in here, isn't it? That might not just be a neutral uh, transmission of information. Maybe it's a complaint. Maybe you're trying to influence me to turn the heating up. Or if you're, you message a friend and say, I'm on my way to the restaurant, see you at six, you're creating an expectation that you'll arrive at the restaurant at six, that they'll meet you there. Um, words do things. Now, of course, what they do depends on the context and the speaker and the relationship and all that. But this is a really helpful thing to remember as we progress this morning because we're going to see that God's word uh, doesn't merely communicate information God's word does things. So what does it do? What is God's word for? Well, uh, the main idea I'm going to argue for this morning is unashamedly unoriginal. Uh, it's plagiarised. You've heard it before. Uh, God's words are for life. <laughs> That's our series title. In a sense, this is where we've been working towards. God's words uh, are spoken for life for our life now if i can present that visually you might find that helpful there's god with the crown there's us down there we know that god speaks uh, we've been hearing that for a few weeks and he speaks uh, for life for our life now i'm going to break that down into three elements and that's what we're going to talk about this morning we're going to see that god's word is for creating life God's word is for sustaining life and God's word is for ruling our life. That's where we're headed this morning. They're kind of our three subheadings. I'm going to look at each one of them. We'll look at one or two verses and then we'll think about an implication under each of those points. 
So first of all, God's word is for creating life. God uh, existed from eternity. He is the source of life. And no one else has life in themselves, but only God gives life. Many of us are familiar with Genesis 1. We read things like God saying, let there be light. Let there be animals. Let there be plant life. Let, there be, let us make man in our own image. And it happens. When God speaks, he speaks life into existence. Um, but I want to go further than that and say that God's word creating life is, is not just a physical um, reality, in God's word creating the world, but it's also a spiritual reality. God's word creates new spiritual life. Uh, because of our sin, humanity was kicked out of the garden. We, our relation with God was broken. We didn't have access to the tree of life. And we, we all became spiritually dead, separated from our life source, God. But God, when he speaks, his aim is to bring us, bring us back from spiritual death into spiritual life. Here's one verse that conveys that, 1 Peter 1.23. Peter, writing to the Christians, uh, his readers, about their conversion, he says, You have been born again. That's creation language. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So the way that we're, we're brought to new life is through God's word, his message of the gospel. Um, now, I want to be clear. I'm not only talking about the power of God's word to bring life. I'm talking about its purpose. This comes at the end of John's gospel. Uh, he's describing, you know, he's just written the biography of Jesus' life. He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the King, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Notice that phrase, so that. That's, that's a purpose phrase. God's word is written so that people may come to believe and have life. Now, yes, there's a, there's a crucial role for us in that, to believe and trust God's word. And the spirit works. We've been learning that the spirit works through God's word. But it's clear, isn't it? God speaks so that people will have new life. This is why we read the Ezekiel passage. We're not... We're not going to look at it in, in depth, but I chose it because it's such a vivid image of God's word being spoken, bringing people to life. It's a prophetic vision. It's, it's not a, a literal scene, but it was as Ezekiel the prophet spoke God's words. It's what God said, speak these words. It's as he spoke that the dry bones took on flesh and tendons and, and came to life. God's word did that. God's word brings and creates new spiritual life. Um, that was my experience. I became a Christian about 20-something years ago in the UK. I remember very vividly hearing a testimony of, of a fellow who was summarising the Christian message. And I remember one verse that he spoke about, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he would have said lots of other things. But I remember... As I heard God's word taught to me by this fellow, God opened my eyes and, and made me alive again, in, in, brought myself into a, a new condition of, of being in relationship with God. Um, 
we've heard about Julia's story this morning. Oh, it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful morning to hear of someone coming to new life. And perhaps Julia would testify that as she sat listening to the Share Life teaching in March, or perhaps as she read the Bible with Ross, or I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what happened, that as she heard that message, she was brought to new life. That's what happens. That's what's happened to you. Perhaps you have memories of um, hearing God's word and being brought to life. Maybe it was a moment, maybe not. Maybe it was over a period of time. Um, that's what God's word does. It creates new life. Now, there's an implication for this. If God's word creates life, that's what we ought to use to connect lost people to Christ. I heard a phrase once, maybe you've heard it. Uh, It goes like this. They say, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Um, I didn't really, at at the time I first heard it, I thought, yeah, that's that's good. I think the intent is good that uh, we want to live in a way and, and love people and perform good works in a way which bring credibility to God's name. Uh, I think the, the intent is good, but as, a, as an idea, it just doesn't make sense. Not only is preaching a, a word-based activity, but if we're, we're trying to win people over to salvation, but we're not using his, his words, we are at odds with his approach. It doesn't work. You can't love someone into new life. You can't serve someone into new life. Those things are important. Please don't mishear me. They're relevant. We can't be uh, nasty, rude Christians and think that's okay. I'm not at all saying that. But apart from God's word, people can't find new life. It's, it's very tempting to operate in that way in this day and age because in, in many respects, society is hostile to the Christian message. We think if we're kind enough and, and winsome enough, uh, well, we'll win people. But no, we need God's word. We need to communicate God's word. So, folks, have you, as you have opportunity, perhaps with the people on your lifeboat list, um, don't stop at uh, friendship and invitation and kindness, but find a way to get the words across, the message of the gospel. Um, it's wonderful, isn't it, that uh, we have in our hands, on our lips, God's means of rescuing people from death to life. That's what we use to help people find life in Jesus. So that's the first point. God's word is for creating life. Now, not only is it for creating life, God's word is for sustaining life. Once you start, uh, God gives us what we need to continue. Uh, Again, there's a sense in the Bible that God's word sustains life overall in, in creation, There's a verse at the beginning of Hebrews that says, Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. That's, you know, the whole world. But again, I want us to think a bit beyond that in terms of God's word sustaining spiritual life. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he he says this. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. He says, it is written... Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, Clearly, Jesus isn't only talking about physical life, because he says it's not just about bread, but rather every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's he's saying 
that our ongoing spiritual life, our eternal life, our, our status and condition of being alive to God, that's something that can only be sustained through God's word. Now, throughout the Bible, this notion continues, perhaps not using words like life, but in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about what the word of God does. He says, we thank God because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God. And notice this last bit, which also works effectively in you who believe. So he's not just talking about new life there, he's talking about the word continuing to work in the life of the believer um, to bring about growth and, and spiritual health. Um, God's word sustains life. It might be uh, helpful for you to think of it a bit like fuel for a car. Now, some of you might have Teslas or something like that. Um, let's disregard that for a moment. Um, <laughs> When we put, we, we know that a car is lifeless. It can't operate unless we put fuel in it. And so we, we go to the petrol station and we put fuel in it. it fuel is designed to um, enable the car to function. That's, God's word is like that. It enables us to exist and, and live as someone in relationship with God. Maybe a, a, an eating analogy might be helpful for you. We know that we need uh, food to nourish our, our bodies and we eat um, regularly, you know, several meals a day to, to provide nourishment and protein and, and all those things. And if you don't eat, well, your physical health is affected. And we need food to eat. We need God's word to live. Uh, it's interesting the way the food analogy gets picked up by Christians throughout history. This is a prayer from the Anglican prayer book. Uh, I'll just read it. You'll, you'll see the analogy. Blessed Lord, who has caused... It's old, kind of old English, so just bear with that. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of the holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. God's word itself is given to us to sustain our, our faith, to sustain our spiritual life. We need to eat it and digest it and take it in in order to continue as believers and to thrive as believers. It's like eating. Now, there's a an obvious implication for all of this. If God's word sustains life, use it to strengthen your spiritual health. Um, imagine only eating a meal, like a, a food meal, once a week on a Sunday morning uh, and nothing else. Imagine the impact that would have on your physical health. Um, you might get by for a while, but it wouldn't be good, would it? Um, the same with the Bible. Uh, imagine just opening the Bible uh, once a week in church. Now, God's Word is very powerful. It can sustain spiritual life uh, longer, much longer than a week or a few days, even if you've only heard it once. 
But it's not, it's not the way to live, is it? It's not the way to live. I reckon, look, we all, I'll put myself in this category as, as well, we all feel spiritual lethargy at times, don't we? Not really desiring to put sin to death, not really wanting to grow in godliness or not having a, an earnestness to reach other people with the message. I think we all know that feeling. It's, 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 a, it's hard. The Christian life's a marathon. We get tired. But I, I would hazard a guess. Uh, I don't have any stats to back this up, but I would hazard a guess that there is a significant correlation between people that feel spiritually lethargic and uh, people that just aren't taking in God's word. In other words, people that are taking in God's word for themselves often and regularly, they are the ones that are, gr- are growing and experiencing zeal and a, a desire to be godly and, and, and share the message. That's because God's word itself is our life source. It's our fuel. So my encouragement to you, and please, this isn't a, this isn't a stock standard, read your Bible more, guilt-inducing point. Uh, I know it can feel like that. But what I'm saying is we have at our disposal, we have in our hands the very fuel source God has given us to help us, to sustain us, to help us grow. Do you, do you want to be spiritually healthy? Parents, do you want your children to be spiritually healthy? Um, open God's word. Read it. Listen to it. Uh, share it with one another. We have, we have what we need in our hands. God's word sustains life. Use it to strengthen your spiritual health. The third point, uh, God's word is for ruling life. Now, having brought us to life and giving us what we need to sustain life, God's word also governs and rules our life. It's a bit like a constitution of a country or a company. Well, Many of us will start thinking much more about the Australian Constitution in the next few months as we come to vote on it. But that's what a constitution is. It's, it constitutes an entity, a, a company or a, or a country, but it also then provides the rules and principles and the framework for that country or company operating, the way it works. It's the same with God's Word. God's Word not only brings us to life, but it governs and sets the terms for how that life works. It is the means by which God rules his people in their new life. Now, we could probably look at lots of verses to um, demonstrate this truth. In a sense, anytime we open the Bible, we're reading something God has given us to, to rule us. But here's just one example from 1 Timothy 3. Paul says, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I've written so that, that's that purpose language again, so that you you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. God's word is given to govern us. Um, It it sets out clearly the boundaries of of life, who's in and who's out, Um, how to, how to live in relationship with God. Uh, some people like to describe the Bible as the covenant book. Now, the covenant, a covenant is a, is a legal contract, and so they see in the Bible 
the, the, the written contractual relationship which God has established with us that defines what it means to be in his people. And in fact, uh, the word testament comes from the word covenant as, as um, you know, Greek was translated into Latin and we ended up calling our Bible the Old and New Testament. It's effectively saying what we have here is the Old and New Covenant. That's what testament means. So this, this book we have is the document which defines what it means to have life with God. He rules us by it. If you go outside it, you're, 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 not, you're not living in relationship with God. You're, you're doing something else. Um, so the implication, of course, is that if God's word rules life, don't look elsewhere for authority or guidance. Uh, not Neil, not the, the church institution, not the archbishop. Um, it's not, we're not free to change the terms of the document. God, it's not a relationship of equals. God's word rules our life. This has been an issue throughout church history. I came across this quote from John Calvin, one of the reformers in the 16th century. And he's talking about Catholics. He's talking about the Catholic situation. That's what he means by the word papists. He says this. He says, The difference between us and papists is that they do not think the church can be the pillar of the truth unless she presides over the word of God. We, on the other hand, assert that it is because she, the church, reverently subjects herself to the word of God that the truth is preserved by her and passed on to others by her hands. What he's saying is, it's the word of God which is the ultimate authority for life, uh, not the church institution. Um, now, this is a—I think this continues to be a common, uh, a common tripping point for believers. Maybe it's not as the the church institution, uh, the way the church sits on top of the word of God, but don't we aren't we good at finding things to uh, give? To, to submit to, to place in authority above the word of God rather than the word of God itself. Um, our feelings. If, if our feelings uh, are perhaps driven by cultural, um, prevailing cultural opinions, if, if they're at odds with the Bible, well, we can just forget that part of the Bible. We'll leave that bit out and, and adapt it to what we feel what we think is reasonable. In fact, even church institutions. It's not that different. There's still church institutions today in different parts of the world that are doing this very thing. It might not be the Catholic sort of view, but they're adopting positions that is at odds with God's word because they're considering that they themselves are free to rule their life with God rather than God's word. And that God's word is for ruling our life. He, he has set the terms. We don't go elsewhere for authority or guidance, as much as we may desire to do so, uh, as the culture and society around us, around us changes. Now God's word is for ruling life. So I hope you can see uh, the big point that I've made. God's word is for life. 
why has he spoken? Yes, to reveal himself uh, in a reliable, trustworthy way. But to what end? For life. For our life. To create new life. To sustain new life. An ongoing life. To rule us. If I can conclude uh, by just extending my graphic in one way. Uh, What we learn is a wonderful truth. That by speaking, uh, God's word brings us into relationship with himself. This is wonderful news. This is tremendous news. God speaks that we might have life with him. The the almighty creator, who from eternity has always existed, has spoken, and he creates new life in you because he wants to be in relationship with you. He sustains life in you by his word. And now that we're in relationship with him, He rules our life by his word. These are wonderful things. We have it all. Um, And God wants to be in a relationship with us and he's spoken to that end. Why don't I pray in thanksgiving uh, that God's word is for life. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a speaking God. We know that in your word... You have spoken that we might have life, new life, ongoing life, and life which is governed and ruled by you. Thank you for your mercy and kindness in speaking your words for our good in such a way. Um, Help us to be people that use your word as you intend. Uh, Help us to be sustained by it and help us to submit to it. And we pray for help in Jesus' name. Amen.